Hey everyone, it's Greg Campion here. Welcome to another episode of the Intentional Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Michael Girdley. Michael is an accomplished entrepreneur who has built what is an incredibly impressive career comprising roles across a diverse portfolio of companies. He is involved in nine different ventures currently, including serving as chairman and co-founder of Dura Software, which specializes in so-called hyper-niche software products. He is also a partner at Geekdom Fund, a seed stage tech venture capital fund, and he serves in leadership roles at a variety of companies and early stage ventures, including CodeUp, Effectual Ventures, and Red Runner Coffee, to name just a few. Michael is also a well-known personality on Twitter. His handle is at Girdley, G-I-R-D-L-E-Y, where you can find him sharing business and life insights and regularly professing his love for the casual dining chain Chili's. I forgot to ask him about that one, but follow him on Twitter for more details there. In this conversation, Michael talks about the systems that he swears by and implements across all of his companies. Systems to handle everything from strategic planning to hiring. If you run a business, I highly recommend you checking out his content in these areas, some of which I will link to in the show notes. But the real focus of this conversation is how Michael has the time and energy to accomplish so much. So we talk about the systems he uses to manage his own life, things like sleep, fitness, time management, and making strategic and tactical plans for accomplishing life goals. We get into all of that. Be sure to check out the Intentional Wisdom newsletter at gregcampion.substack.com for the highlights of this episode or just to hear from yours truly every other week. With that, here's my conversation with Michael Girdley. All right, Michael Girdley, welcome to the Intentional Wisdom podcast. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, you know, I was thinking back to, uh, I've been following you on Twitter for a while, big fan of your content. Um, and I was thinking back to like, when did Michael Girdley first come across my radar screen? This one, I don't know if you will remember this, but this this one, I was bidding in an NFT auction. And then all of a sudden, somebody named Girdley pops up on top of my bid, just outbid me. I was like, who the heck is this guy? Uh, I don't know if you remember, that was Jim O'Shaughnessy's um, OSAM Vest yep. uh, NFT auction that I, he did. But I did not end up winning uh, that. Uh, I've actually told this story on this podcast before, so I won't... I won't recount it now, but somewhat someone who really actually deserved mm-hmm. to win it and who gave it gave the uh, opportunity to to somebody else who really deserved an opportunity won yeah. it. I was purely going to use it for like self promotional <laughs> purposes. So, anyways, uh, I've gotten crushed like in every single one of those. I'm always like the first bidder. So the my first million guys uh, did one, and I was like the first bidder. And I just like yeah. maybe the second bidder. I just came out and was like, okay, I'm just bidding my maximum price like from day one. Yeah. And uh, then some guy yeah. came in and bid, outbid me like at the last minute by like ten times or something. Or I was like, ah, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm okay oh, to lose yeah. that one. But it was, it yeah, was fun. Exactly. That one was super fun because you would get five minutes to do whatever you wanted on my first million. So actually, my grand scheme was oh. I was gonna go take that NFT if I won it, and then I was gonna shard it into yep. fifteen second NFTs, and so buy it wholesale <laughs> and sell it at retail, and then keep one for myself. And my fifteen seconds oh, of fame was gonna be like, I can't believe I made money on this. Bye. <laughs> like that was my whole. Oh, that was my that's whole awesome. plan. Yep. Uh, that would have been so cool. Hey, that is very consistent with like I think I think I saw one one of your threads. You were like buy by the acre, sell yeah. by the foot, or something like yeah. that. that yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Very cool. Too smart. You see, so you're too smart for, uh, for that, right? They're like, no, no, that's not what we were yeah. intending to be on our podcast. But uh, so, uh, so anyhow, um, uh, for our listeners who maybe are not as actively involved in getting outbid by you in NFT auctions um, or super active on Twitter, um, share a little bit about your background, just maybe a minute or two, just f so folks kind of know who you are, where you came from and kind of what you're up yeah, to. Yeah, totally today. dig it. Um, cool. Yeah. So, uh, I live in San Antonio, Texas, which is about an hour and a half Southeast of Austin. So it's kind of the fourth city of Texas. Um, but it's actually a really mm -hmm. big city home in San Antonio Spurs and stuff like that. Um, I lived here most of my life. Um, so I grew up here. Uh, I was always a computer kid. Uh, my parents got me an Apple IIe when I was 12 years old. Uh, and that was like $3,500 back in 1982. Um, Wow. Or 1989, I guess, whenever that was. But um, what's that in today's? Uh, I think it's like 10, 10 or 11 grand for a computer, like just yeah. enormously wow. expensive. So, you know, I my parents were entrepreneurs, great parents. I grew up, you know, really, uh, really a privileged life. Um, got got to go to college and best, you know, best high school in town and all that kind of stuff. So very, very fortunate, very lucky compared to what some other folks have gone through. Um, and then, uh, always a computer kid, went to college, uh, back East, uh, at a place called Lafayette college. It's about an hour outside of New York city, yep. uh, majors yep. in computer science there. Uh, all, when I graduated, all of my colleagues went and joined consulting firms and I didn't do any of that. I ended up, uh, dorking around for a while and then made my way out to the Bay area, uh, worked in San Francisco kind of for the first phase of my career which was working for other people. Um, so I started as an engineer, so I have a technology background there uh, in software and security, and then worked my way up to strategy and middle management roles. And then around the age of 27, 28, um, my new, newly met wife and I decided we wanted to leave the Bay Area. She was from Ohio, I was from San Antonio, she liked warm weather. And I said, I know a place that's really hot. So we moved back to San Antonio. <laughs> uh, and that was my first, yeah. you know, foray into entrepreneurship. Uh, I got involved in entrepreneurship the old fashioned way. I went to go work for our family business, took that over. Uh, I was a CEO of that. It's a fireworks retailing company. Uh, was CEO of that for almost a decade. Um, and then towards the, the end of that kind of tenure as CEO, I decided I wanted to be a serial entrepreneur, so I started uh, other businesses. So I started a handful of businesses during that period of time where I was CEO of those um, to get them off the ground and then often found other leaders to run them. So that was phase two, really entrepreneurship. And then about six, seven years ago, um, started doing what I do now, which is no operating roles at all. I work solely on kind of incubating, crafting, creating deals um, where it makes sense, um, setting companies up for long-term success and then sitting on their boards. Um, so think about it as like a super hands-on, like family office person with very targeted, mm. targeted bets. So sort of doing that in earnest, you know, that kind of six years ago, seven years ago, um, I'm now up to nine operating companies where I have meaningful stakes and then a bunch of other ones where I have non-meaningful stakes. Um, mm. So mm. that those span the gamut of everything from you know, a drive-through coffee business that we started in 2020 with a couple partners to, you know, a private equity firm that one of my partners is the managing partner of to um, a training company to our very first um, family business. Those are all still in my portfolio of things that I work on on a yeah. pretty regular basis. That's awesome. You 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 got a lot of balls in the air. You got a lot of different um, 
a lot of businesses you're involved in, but interesting that you've kind of extracted yourself out of the day-to-day operating role, um, but also interesting that you have had that experience before. Um, and, and I think it, it makes for a really, um, a really interesting uh, background from which to look at different businesses, especially looking at sort of old world and new world businesses, having that technology background, but also having a background in something like fireworks. I mean, you kind of get the full gamut um, uh, and, and, and also understand like, you know, how businesses work. So it seems to me like that's one of your real superpowers is just like really understanding the like nuts and bolts of like how businesses work. And I know you've got a, a podcast of your own. Uh, I just listened to a, another episode of that this morning on, uh, actually there was, it was your episode on the, uh, the history factory where you dive into the that oh, business fun. with those yeah. guys. And I picked that one out because I've worked with those guys. I actually, I actually hired them in a, in a former, uh, or in a role, uh, at my, uh, at my company, um, and, and worked with those guys. It's super interesting awesome. business model those guys have, but, um, anyhow, so, uh, so with all these different ventures you're involved with and, and we could honestly take a full episode and dive deep into just the coffee venture, probably. I mean, that, that I've heard you talk a little bit about that, but that sounds like super fun, uh, an interesting project. Um, but I want to talk more about, you know, your personal systems that you use to, you know, get time and at the time and energy to, to, to operate all these, but maybe before we do do that, like one of the things that I think you're probably best known for is your ability to kind of take systems and standardize them across all of the different businesses that you're involved in. So before we go down the road of like talking about Michael Girdley's like personal mm-hmm. systems by which he operates his life by, just give me a little bit of a sense or give our listeners a little bit of a sense for um, these types of systems that you roll out between your businesses and, and like why you do that. Yeah, totally dig it. Yeah. So, I mean, and use the word operate to say operate these businesses, I actually don't operate anything by the, by the strict definition of mm. operating. Like if I'm, if I'm going into a business and being the CEO of it or involved in the day to day, um, or even like defining kind of being the leader to define the strategy or vision for the company, like I've made a mistake, right? That's my goal not to do that because it's not the best place <laughs> for me. It's not scalable as well. Um, but in terms of what I do with the companies, you know, I've spent um, a number of years just going through and realizing, hey, uh, when you look at business, like it kind of all tastes like chicken. Like every company has the same fundamental kind of 15 to 20 problems that are the big things they're trying to do, right? They're trying to, um, they're trying to sell things. They're trying to recruit staff. They're trying to retain those st- that staff. They're trying to tell their story to customers, right? All of those are pretty universal. They're trying to figure out what their strategy is. Like every company does those things. Um, and to me, like the realization I had when like all business tastes like chicken was, hey, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some people out there who've gone through and identified these kind of common problems. Like how do I hire well, right? And mm-hmm. built systems around those that I don't have to recreate the wheel, right? And, and so that's, I think, kind of the beauty for me of, of what I've done is I went and spent several years going and looking at these common problems, identifying the best systems that are out there, and then putting those into a, play, a thing I call the playbook, which sits on my website, um, and basically use that as the way that I can, when I get attached to a business, I say, okay, well, here's how we're going to do strategic planning. Here's how we're going to do hiring. Here's how we're going to run our board. And like, that means I'm not having to recreate the wheel uh, every single time. It also gives me, when I interface with a company, a very common language where I can say like, okay, tell me what your 10-year vision is. I don't ask about the three-year vision. I don't mm-hmm. ask about the mm-hmm. five-year vision because I know they're using a system that has a 10-year vision. So 
that's that's mm. the core of it in terms of how I approach stuff. Okay, so so let's just touch on like one or two of those in a, in a little bit more detail. So um, you mentioned the ten year plan. So talk to me just about a little bit about that that system and and what yeah. gets implemented yeah. there. So yeah, so the system um, the system that we like to use for strategic planning, meeting cadence, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's an off the shelf system um, called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. There's a bunch of these kind of things. Uh, the the short handed way I describe these are like business paint by numbers. Like you remember the old like mm. paintings you would do as a kid I and do. then like I paint do. green here. Well, that's the. I just put out a tweet some on something paint by numbers today, and, and uh, so uh, subconsciously it probably seeped into my brain from reading your work. Yeah, so they, I should probably give you credit. There you for go. That. Well, it shows our age. Um, so the. Um, <laughs> So, for example, in this case with EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, um, it's a, a set of ideas, templates, processes, and rules that you follow to run your business. And those very specific rules force you to do some very positive things, right? So, for example, um, it makes you write your entire strategy for your business and your big vision all the way to what you're doing this quarter on the front and back of one piece of paper. Like when was the last time you like talked to a, a company and they could articulate in that way their entire plan on the front and back of a piece of paper? Like this system forces you to do that by giving you a set of rules and guidelines and templates that you go and fill out. So at the core of that EOS system is a 10-year vision. Like that's the top of, the, of, of Mount Everest for you, right? And that's what that is. And then what you do is you take that and you tie it all the way back down to what we're doing this particular quarter and therefore this particular week to tie all the way back to that kind of 10-year vision. So EOS is one of those systems, um, and I don't make any money from it. It's it's a book you can buy on Amazon for like $12. Mm -hmm. uh, it's written by a guy named Gino Wickman. Yeah. Yeah, you should be getting commissions on that, and you should be getting commissions on like Culture Index and uh, the book by- uh, Oh, Brad. Uh, Top yeah. Grading, the book by Dr. Smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but you're doing it out of the kindness of your heart. Or or I think what I've heard you say before is that you roll these systems out to the management right. of all the companies that you're involved with, and you say, let's we're let's use this unless you know of or can find something Tell me better, better. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, here's the deal. I've learned like uh, when I take valuable information like this that I've learned and lessons learned, and I share that with the world over and over. What I've yeah. learned is. The, the universe pays me back 10x whatever I give it, and I don't even really need to ask for anything. So that's why I approach all this stuff, which is like, here you go, like, fine, you, you, yeah, you like it, yeah. it's great. And the second thing that it's, it's very relaxing for me, because if I just give you something for free, then like, I definitely don't feel bad if you don't listen to me. Like, I don't care, like, whatever you want to do, like, you want to just keep doing something stupid, I don't care, it's not my problem, I'll, you know, whatever you want. But if you sell something to someone like and they don't that. follow it up, like, then that totally changes the changes the equation for me. Then I have to worry about, well, did I explain yeah. it to you well enough? It's like, uh, all that sucks. Well, what's, what's um, let, let's just touch touch on um, culture index real quick too, because I know that's another one that, that you've uh, kind of rolled out uh, among your companies. What is culture index and, um, and, and how do you use that? Yeah, so, you know, it, this all kind of ties back to the idea of kind of theories of personality, that people are just wired with personality traits that usually gets solidified sometime around their teenage years. And it's just how you are, right? You you know that cousin that's just like the YOLO, let's jump out of the plane cousin. And then there's the other one who's like, whoa, 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 401ks are very risky. Like there's, there's that whole <laughs> spectrum of people. And then you know people yeah. that like me that wanna live in the clouds and think about the future. And then there's the person who their entire lens to look at the world is, here are the rules, here's what's always worked. I'm just gonna keep doing that. Like, so 
So there's these theories of personality around that, and people have run into things like Myers-Briggs or DISC or StrengthsFinders yeah. or whatever um, type personality assessments. You know, there are two personality assessments that I like more than all the other ones, and there, there's reasons for that. One is called Culture Index. That's the one I use pretty religiously. There's another one called Predictive Index, and they're basically two flavors of the same thing, which is a science-based way where they went and did studies of tens of thousands of people asked them questions, interviewed them, understood how they ticked, built archetypes around those. And then basically you can give somebody an assessment that takes them about 10 minutes and it basically accelerates the whole process of me learning how they tick and what drives them and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff um, by just looking at a graph that I can see in a couple seconds. So it's a very, mm -hmm. a very powerful example of like using culture index or some or predictive index. There is a subset of the population that is just entirely wired to want to win. Like they are just the most competitive people. Like that is what drives them. Like, like, and you know, you can run into those people. There's five to 10% of them in the population. They're highly competitive. They are totally motivated by that. And I know if I'm working with a person that is wired like that in my organization, I know how to work with them, right? I know, okay, I'm going to show you how the score is kept. And then I'm going to show you where the scoreboard is. And I'm going to get the hell out of your way. That is entirely different than somebody who is motivated by say social harmony with everybody. Like. And I'm going to yeah. approach them totally yeah. differently. So a tool like Culture Index, you give it to people, they take it online, takes 15 minutes. And then once you're trained in the system, you can look at the results and then meet people where they are and say, okay, this, mm. is, this is who you are. Like, I'm going to build the opportunity. I'm going to build the support system. I'm going to build everything for you based on the way you're wired. And I'm not going to ask you to be something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I kind of want to apply for a job to work for you just so I could take this. <laughs> like, I'm super curious at like where I, where I would come yeah. out on this scale. Um, I, I, it's free. I'll send you the link. You could take it. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Just, just oh, let me know. I, oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Okay. I, I sort of suspect I might come out similar uh, to where you are on this in terms of like, you know, um, being a more strategic thinker, being more, being more kind of future oriented, being more kind of, I can't remember if it's right brain or left brain, but more kind of creatively oriented and less focused necessarily on like the minutia of every single detail uh, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But it would be a really interesting thing just to, for some self-awareness to understand where you yeah. fall on that. Well, here's the thing that'll mess you up. <laughs> this is super cool. There, yeah. are, there are a couple of, so they break you, they break down, there's like 20 archetypes or so. And these are like kind of people who mm -hmm. congeal mm -hmm. around, you see a lot of patterns and stuff. There are a couple of archetypes that show mm. up in a outsized manner on Twitter. So when I meet people on Twitter, I'm predisposed to assume like, okay, you're probably XYZ archetype. And I know I'm one of those archetypes. There's one archetype that really loves to just talk about ideas and be creative, but doesn't like to be held yeah. accountable or responsible yeah. for stuff. Like that's me. <laughs> so uh <-huh. laughs> Twitter's full of those people, full of those people. Cause think about it, it's great. It, I, I fear that, I fear that might be me too. Uh, uh, but you're playing 3D chess. You're playing 3D chess with this stuff. If you if you know like what category everybody fits into, um, I haven't done that one. I've I've did, did Myers Briggs yeah. uh, once or twice back in the day. So do you know how Myers Briggs um, was created? Yeah, I think I was a <laughs> Meyer, no. Myers and Briggs had this idea of the theory of personality, and it was a mother daughter team who invented it with no science whatsoever in their living room. Yeah, there's a book on this. I was like, no I was kidding. Like, this is why I hate Myers-Briggs. This is freaking terrible. That and DISC, no science, like total garbage science. It's why, So there's no, si no science. It's why you it. can't okay. use them for hiring because they're like racially and age mm. and all this stuff biased. So you want to use a system 
that oh, wow. has been proven to be uh, actually age unbiased and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's yep, actually yep, super powerful yep. because it it allows me to actually be more diverse in hiring because like I don't hmm. I don't even look at your resume until I know what your personality is and I know you're a fit for oh, what wow. we're doing. Interesting. Um, and I might That's glance cool. at it. Wait, so do you go into the the job? knowing okay i want somebody who like fits this is like this this or this like how many different archetypes does uh, they have like, like 20, 20 21 22. um okay and so do you go into it being like i want somebody like with like one of these five or something yeah. like that or how would yeah. that actually yeah work? so yeah okay so the okay. tool what the tool is great is it has two insights so one is uh, it, it, number one, acknowledges the idea that homogeneous teams are the ones that, or heterogeneous teams are the ones that win. So that means teams that are wired differently. Like you don't want a bunch yep. of people who are all idea people, right? Because what's wrong with that? You end up with yep. ideas and no yep. execution. You also don't want all execution people because like they're eventually going to just blow themselves up. Like, so you have to have a balance. So it has this idea that the best teams are all heterogeneous. Okay. So in terms of how people are wired from mm -hmm. a personality standpoint, background, all that kind of stuff. So number two is when you say that that's the way it's going to be, you realize that different roles require or the people who thrive in different roles, like they are wired to thrive in those roles. So let's say, for example, I ask you to go be a car salesman, right? Or a saleswoman. Uh, that is a certain type of selling and extroversion and, and fast moving behavior that only a certain number of people are wired to be that way. Like me, I would hate that. Like, that's just the worst. Mm -hmm. Like I, I couldn't handle mm -hmm. all those interruptions mm -hmm. and the extroversion of people. Like I would just be exhausted every day, but there are people who thrive mm -hmm. in that type of environment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, you know, that's the idea is you have these kind of roles where you understand what's required of a person. And then you're able to create mm -hmm. a situation where that person can just be their best self just walking in the door. Cause they're just like, oh, this is yeah. who I'm supposed to be like, oh, like accounting like i'm supposed to follow rules like let's do it like i hate rules mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. no way would i be an accountant worst worst job ever repetitive yep. rules give me a break but like there are people mm -hmm. that love that like so a tool like that helps you find those people and then help them be their best selves in that role like it's just the best feeling in the world when you can help somebody do that yep makes a ton of sense just provides a kind of a natural tailwind behind them for for success yeah, it, for for them and for, and for the it's team. easy for them that's awesome okay um we're not going to do your the systems that you implement in businesses justice in this conversation, but but that's a great taste of it. Um, what I want to do, what I will do, is link to some prior podcast appearances that you've had, some Twitter threads that you've written, because what I would just like to you know put out there is that anyone who runs a business today, whether you're an entrepreneur or um, or management within a larger organization. Uh, I, I seriously think you can benefit from a lot of this stuff that Michael's put out there, um, whether it's on hiring, whether it's on, um, you know, things like culture index, like you just talked about, um, just so much great, uh, stuff there. So let me just kind of put a, put a uh, marker in that because I want to, I just want to, you know, make a note of that. Um, okay. Let's talk about all the stuff that gives Michael Girdley all of the, time and energy to do all of this amazing stuff that you're doing across, you know, this portfolio, this sort of portfolio of a career that you've built for yourself. And maybe let's start high level. So let talk to me about, and I, and I suspect the answer may be tied in with EOS, but, but talk to me a little bit high level, um, 
your approach to the, how you kind of go about strategically planning your life, your goals, purpose, things like that? How, how, yeah. how do you kind of set the, the direction? Yeah. Well, and for full disclosure, like kind of figuring out who I am, what I want to do and where I want to go, like, like I'm 47 now, like I'm also very, very comfortable acknowledging like when I was 27, I don't think I gave gave very good answers and I'm still not sure if my answers are that good. I just feel more confident in them. And I, I mean, this is half the reason why I'm doing this podcast. I'm 44 and I'm like, what do I want to do when I grow up? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So data point for you, I, you know, I've, I turned like 45 or so and I was like, you know, I was yeah. trying to have this cur curious beginner's mindset, keep learning stuff. And I was just like, I look back on 45 to 35 and 35 to 25. And I was just like, I have learned so much. Like, like, I feel like I've made such great strides. So I went around and started talking to like all the 65 year olds. And I was like, okay, mm. like I've learned so much in the past decade. Like, I just feel like I'm just hitting my stride and like, this is just great. Like I must learn so many things between now and 65. Like what, what all am I going to learn? Like, tell me like, what, what, what wisdom do you have mm. to share for me? And they would all look at me like I was a crazy person. Like it would be maybe people who ask that question <laughs> are a crazy person, but they would look at me and the answer I actually got was really fascinating. They were like, look, you're not gonna, your learning curve is shallowing. You're like you're, there's only so many things that are mm. useful in the world. And 45 to 55 is a lot of like practicing those things. And then. Then they said, look, here's the thing you start to learn when you get into your sixties is that you're mortal. That was their answer. I was like, whoa, yeah. like yeah. you start to see that the end is not to get too deep, but I, but I feel like, I feel like the, just the last year or two, like that, I don't know if it's middle age or what it is, but I, yeah. I feel, I feel my mortality more than I have ever felt before. And like a holy shit, like a pretty large, uh, piece of this career is behind yep. me and like if i have stuff that i really want to achieve i kind of better get my ass in gear yep. and, and get going on it yeah uh there's and for me there's times where i look at the mirror now and i'm like oh i am old i feel old today <laughs> and like i feel old this morning yeah. getting out of bed everything was creaky and everything like that but that's pretty that's why i'm hoping you have some good <laughs> answers when we talk about your your physical uh fitness and yeah. nutrition and all that kind so of anyway, stuff I, let's start let's start start high level tell me about the plan yeah so you know what uh i talked about that eos system i run a version of that for myself yep. basically you know i have a 10-year goal of where i want to be um i follow the eos rules for that and then i bend them a little bit because you know as a person you can't treat yourself like a business uh, perfectly, but the same concept is there. Like I have a 10 year goal of where I want to be. Um, I have core values of how I live my life. Uh, I have a strategy of how I'm going to get to my 10 year goal. Um, that translates into a three year vision of where I want to be three years from now. Then I have a one year plan uh, of things that I want to accomplish. And you know, the way this system works really well when you use EOS for yourself is you end up just defining the five, six, seven things that are really super important that you have to get done this year. And the other stuff, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, and it gives you a ton of focus. Um, and then I define quarterly goals and I check on them. Like this morning I looked at them. I was like, okay, where am I on this one? I want to weigh this much. I want to, you know, get involved in this project. I want to get this project done. You know, I want to, I want to have this much cash flow. Like all of those were things I checked in on because they're, they're the quarterly goal. And if I know if I'm on track for those, I'll be on track for my 10 year vision of, of where I want to be. So in short, that's how I run that system. Um, it's pretty straightforward, pretty lightweight. I have it all in a word doc. Um, and it's so far mm -hmm. worked pretty well. I started doing it since 2017, five years. 
Yep. And you've published, I've seen a version of this, uh, basically like one, one pager mm -hmm. or I guess two sides of a page that you published on Twitter before. Um, so you made that public slightly redacted your, uh, net worth goals and things like that, which is understandable. Try not but, to get um, murdered this week. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you this. What is, is there one thing that you can point to that you could say, okay, like this tangible thing changed in my life after implementing this system. So I guess, is there like one example of something that you've accomplished that you would give credit to this system that you've been using? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, just you look at kind of the, the high level number of the things I'm involved in. Um, you know, when I started doing this in 2017, it was basically three. And one of those, one of those required me to work in the business. Um, and another one of those three things was struggling and had to be turned around. So, you know, every, it, it's made a transformative situation where like now I'm deeply involved in nine different ventures. Looks like we're going on 10 cause we're about to launch something else here shortly. And, um, you know, like that's been transformed that high level number of things I've been able to do and do effectively has gone from, you know, one out of three to now, you know, nine out mm -hmm. of nine, I would say doing well, uh, and things I'm very happy with, um, from a business perspective. So. Yeah, that's been transformative in the discipline that the system has brought on for me. Like it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to do it without that. Yeah, that's cool. So you said, okay, for example, like one year from now, like I want to extract myself out of the day-to-day -day running of said business. And what, what do I need to do? Then translate that down to like, how far do you go? Do you go down to like daily or weekly? Or, I mean, you, you said quarterly, but like, do you look at like your schedule and like, uh, like, you know, what am I going to do today to actually move the needle on that? Or how does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, I find just reminding myself of what those prioritized goals are, uh, allows me to just stay focused on them. And I make sure that those get done. Um, you know, other people use systems where they go in and like color code their calendar and stuff. Um, to me, that feels kind of mm -hmm. onerous. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also people who do a lot of mm -hmm. personal planning around like, okay, I'm going to build these habits and like, I don't work that way. So I don't know if that works for them. Mm -hmm. Great. But no, I just keep it super simple. It's like, okay, I'm going to focus on these five to seven things I really got to get done this quarter. And then I'm just going to make sure I focus on those things and get them done. Um, but I'm not going to like micromanage like what I'm having for lunch in order to optimize that stuff. Unless I'm trying to lose weight, then I will definitely micromanage lunch or I'll weigh myself every day and just be like, hey, lose some weight, you fat chump. <laughs> so, 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 so it's interesting for me to hear about like the way that you operate it day to day. Cause like, going back to like what we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago, like I kind of wonder if slightly different takes on, on systems like this would work for different personality types, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so anyways, I don't know if we're going uh, to uh, solve that one today, but there's probably a book there. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, for idea. example, if you go look at culture index, it would tell you some people are very good at, at, at juggling a lot of balls, spinning a lot of plates at the same time. I'm actually very bad at that. Yep. I'm not good at uh, if I have more than two crises at once, like I feel overwhelmed. Whereas like there are people for whom they are wired to be okay with like 30 initiatives going mm -hmm. at once. I'm a very good serial monotasker. Like I can do one thing faster and more efficient than, than most other people can. I can't do four things at once. Like I just, it just doesn't yeah. work. So I'm, yeah. I'm a very fast serial monotasker. So you know, if you think about it, like this is kind of the system that works for somebody wired like me, like not an amazing memory, not a good multitasker, needs to be reminded what the, what the goalposts are. And especially since I'll try to move them all the time, just being who I am, 
Like I need a system like that. That's simple, automatic reminds me of stuff. Other people who are wired different ways, like you can, you can work with different systems. And I think this is kind of a testament to just kind of the core idea. Like whether you're using strengths finder for personality over, instead of culture index, or whether you're using some other system instead of EOS for running your business, it doesn't really matter. Like 70% of the, the goal is just being intentional about it and having a system and running that system and sticking to it. So, you mm -hmm. know, whether you use my system or another one, like just pick one. That's going to get you most of the yeah. way there. Uh, to, to me, and, I, and it's funny, I've been thinking about this, um, even, even just how I'm running this podcast. I, I kind of started out, it's still early stage podcast, um, but I kind of started out and thinking about, okay, we want to talk about habits, we want to talk about careers, we want to talk about motivation. And I don't think I've really kind of identified like a niche for this um, podcast necessarily. It's fairly broad, yeah. but I keep coming back to this idea of like systems and even more, and to use the paint by numbers analogy again, like it, it be, it's becoming like clearer and clearer to me that like systems in many different ways, not just running business, but also running your, you know, fitness and nutrition, et cetera. Systems are like cheat codes for life, basically. And they are almost like paint, paint by numbers, right? And it's like, okay, I can avoid decision fatigue, uh, et cetera, if I just have a very clear-cut system is this is what I'm doing every day. I already know in advance and I just need to like make it happen. And so anyways, translating that to like this podcast and you know, some of the questions I want to ask you um, now is kind of like understanding, okay, you know, how are high performers in different areas? Um, what systems are they actually implementing in their own lives yeah. to, you know, manage their time and energy and stuff like that. So I think I'm slowly like navigating my way towards like a, a niche for this, uh, sure. for this podcast. Um, uh, anyways, uh, sidebar there. Uh, so let's talk about, let, let's talk about, um, energy management. Um, and you need a lot of energy to do a lot of these things, even if you are not necessarily multitasking, tasking, but you are focusing intently on one thing at a time, you are still getting a tremendous amount done um, every day. So I would guess maybe some of that starts with sleep. I've heard you before talk about or say that you go to bed at 8.30 p.m. I want to understand if that's true and if that, how is that on earth, is that possible? To go to sleep at 8.30? It's not hard. You just get sleepy yes. in bed. I don't know. <laughs> don't you have other people in your life who are wanting your time at 8.30 p.m.? Uh, you know, like my wife and I have a rule. We don't have serious conversations after nine. It's pretty It's pretty good because we're both yeah. like super cranky. Um, or I'm sorry, I'm the yeah. cranky one. She's lovely all the time. Um, <laughs> but no, I like to wake up early. I like to go exercise usually. And um, so if you're going to be sane doing that, especially if you're somebody that needs a lot of sleep, I'm somebody that needs a lot of sleep. Um, you know how you have that one family member that like everybody's like wide awake on a red eye plane and there's like cousin Jim who's over there just like passed out oh, yeah. and has been the whole time. Yeah. That's I'm cousin Jim. <laughs> like I can just I'm renowned I'm renowned around the group for being like, is he sleep again? Like um yeah, I was at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting last week on over the weekend. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I totally passed. Yeah, great thread on that, by I the totally, way. That was fun. When I was like, follow. I just passed out for 10 minutes. What happened? It's because I literally fell asleep in my chair. So I was so come on. No, I did. Well, I mean, the problem that you know, with with the War Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger, the problem is they're ninety-one and ninety-eight years old. So yeah, yeah. They yeah. only got through like nine questions in the whole day because like 
They ask you the question. They equivocate on it for a bit. They tell you some story about the Flamingo Hotel in Vegas in like 1955 for 20 minutes. And then you get, you get, then you finally get to the answer with Warren. And then Charlie makes some quip and they move on to the next one. But 30 minutes just went by. So I fell asleep during one yeah, of the yeah. stories because it was just so long. Oh my gosh. Um, That's classic. But yeah, so I like to go to sleep early. Um, and I'm just somebody that I've learned I need a lot of sleep and I perform better when I do. So uh, there's been times when I've gone to bed at like eight o'clock and fall asleep. Um, so I have a whole routine yeah. to go to bed. Um, I'm kind of jealous. Like, uh, yeah. It wasn't that way when I had little kids, but three little, now that I have teenagers. Like, I, I have three little kids running around this place that are uh, that are keeping me from doing that. Yeah. But, um, are you like uh, anything else on the sleep side? Do you Are you like an eight sleep guy or anything like that? Or is it pretty just straightforward? I've never like, tried those. I sleep on a regular bed. Mm-hmm. I do have a routine to help me go to sleep. I listen to podcasts. Like there are certain podcasts that will put me to sleep in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just turns my brain off and I go straight to bed. I host another one on financial markets. I'll send you that one. That's, that's, I've heard that's a good one for sleep. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, okay. then my alarm, you know, I'll get up a couple of nights, times during the night to go to the bathroom. Um, I have to be very mindful when I wake up in the middle of the night. I've learned the hard way. You, you don't let your brain go places you don't want it to go. Um, mm. and get yourself upset. That will keep you up. And, you know, there's, you'll see the kind of rim cycles. I'll go through two or three a night. And then uh, alarm goes off at five ish, and uh, then all. How, how do you know what the REM cycles look like? Are you using something to track? Uh, well, I did use watches and stuff like that to track it. Yeah, now yeah. I just know mm-hmm. it's when I have to go to the bathroom. Like you, okay. And you can okay. tell. You can also tell where you were in the cycle by how how hard it is to get up. Um, so mm-hmm. getting up every, for me, getting up every day at the same time is very beneficial because your body starts to learn and orients its cycles around that. So like I know. Like when I'm on a good routine, like my body will say 4.50 a.m. Like sometimes I'll just wake up because my body's like, yep, that's the way this goes. Like right now Mm -hmm. is when we go through rim cycle number three and we're good. And then, you know, I get up and go hang out for a bit till it's time to go to the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm similar, although I'm, I've, I over-engineered a little bit. I've got like the whoop on one mm-hmm. arm, the Apple watch on another. I got the eight sleep. So I got like 10 different things telling me how I slept last night, which uh, you know, you can argue there's, there's pros and cons to that. Like sometimes if you see you out of terrible sleep, yep. it, it, it probably like impacts you mentally in some way heading into the day. Um, but it's also interesting to see, like, you know, one thing that's jumps out to me is like alcohol, like yeah. absolutely trashes the quality of your sleep. Yep. Um, some, some stuff like you mentioned, like, you know, being careful where your mind goes in the middle of the night, like. I am careful for like exposure to bright lights. I think that can throw off your circadian rhythm um, a little bit as well. Um, And I'm also a big proponent of the get up at the same time every day. So like I, my alarm goes up at six um, and that's pretty much a daily thing. Weekends included now. So I think that's just one of these things of like, getting older too, you got to kind of keep your, you got to kind of keep yourself on a, on a, on a schedule, yeah, right? Good. Otherwise you can, your sleep schedule gets all wacky. Congrats. Um, congrats. You're old. <laughs> so, so, uh, so you're getting out of bed to go work out in the morning. So tell me what that fitness routine looks like and interested, um, if there's anything on the nutrition side that you do, that's uh, yeah, special it. too. Um, well, I mean, as I'm getting older and my kids are getting older, so I have more free time, I've turned into that dad who, like, uh, doesn't st- sit still all weekend. Um, and also just, like, there'll be times when, you know, it's, like, the afternoon and I'll be like, hey, you know what I should do? I'll go for a 20-mile bike ride. That sounds like fun. 
Um, cool. So, but yeah, so I really have found the right system to have in middle age uh, for fitness is to do a lot of stuff and then make sure that stuff has two different aspects to it. So one is it needs to be challenging, but fun. And there are things that, that I do to make exercise fun. The second thing that's super important is your exercise routine needs to have variety, lots of variety in it. So, um, mm. so mm. the fun aspect of it is I do a ton of things, um, where I gravitate towards exercise modalities that to me can be turned into fun. So they're either social outlets or I combine them with other positive ha habits. So for example, I go to CrossFit classes like all the time. And, uh, so we'll go at like 6 15 in the morning class lasts for an hour. And then we go to coffee immediately afterwards. So there's like this great social and like chemical, like reinforcement of that. And everybody loves it. And it, yeah. it encourages more people to come to the gym. That's cool. And CrossFit by itself is pretty good with, um, giving you tons of variety at stuff. But then I also spend a lot of time mountain biking, road cycling, um, pre COVID I was doing a ton of yoga as well and just really enjoying that. Um, and so that's kind of that second idea is, you know, I looked at all the people who were my age or older and had broke like physically, like couldn't exercise anymore and gave up and let themselves mm. go. It was because they all just kept doing the same one thing over and over again. Um, often, mm. you know, if it was at high intensity, that's how they broke themselves. Like they were triathletes and next thing you know, like can't walk like, well, that's, that's dumb. Like that just doesn't work. Um, mm -hmm. or they were doing it at such low intensity that it gave no benefit whatsoever that, you know, that guy that like walks 10 minutes on the treadmill and then does three curls and leaves the gym, like, give me a break, like not going to help <laughs> you. Um, and right. so anyway, that's kind of my approach to the whole thing. And like, it's fun. It's great. I have so much fun doing it. Yeah. I like that. Those are, those are some great ways to think about it. Now the, do you do much like solo stuff or you mentioned the, like the social aspect of, of CrossFit. Um, I'm, I'm just curious. Cause like, I think, I think what I understood you saying earlier was that you are maybe less of like a natural extrovert. Is that, is that true? And like, how do you tie that together with like the social aspect of the um, CrossFit? Like, wouldn't you, would you rather naturally be in your home gym, like getting a workout done and just doing uh, it or? There, what are your thoughts there's there? some there's some layers to this um so it okay, introverts okay. introverts like if depending on your definition of the traits of personality you know introverts are people for whom social interaction is um energy taxing for them it costs energy for me to go to a mm -hmm. cocktail party but if you take me to the gym where i'm doing something that i really like and I can feed into other things like my mission orientation or even above that that i'm a very competitive person um like, like those things can overcome all that stuff. So the fact like, mm. like that kind of competitive urge that I have, like I can go to the gym and express that, like who cares about introversion at that point? Like we're there to like mm -hmm. kick some butt, let's do this. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's the other reason why social type stuff is really important to me. And I do like group rides for bicycling or I do group exercise classes because no i don't really want to be by myself because i want to beat you and the best way for me to beat you is to be mm. right next to you suffering like that and i'm gonna okay. out suffer you so yeah uh in the nicest way possible there, there is there are versions of that at home too i i have a peloton bike where i get unnaturally competitive on with on the leaderboard with people who i've never met before i love that but, uh, you can you can engineer a little of that i love too. it 
Um, how about the nutrition side? Anything, any system or rules that you follow on that, on that side? Of you know, I've played with all the different kind of diets and stuff. Um, you know, I, I think where I've ended up at this point is that, uh, number one, life is for living. So you should enjoy yourself here and there. Um, and yeah, everybody can have abs. You know how to have abs. I've done it before. You suffer. It is suffering. Um, you, you don't get to eat, you get chicken and broccoli so that, you know, that's all there. So, you know, I think there's a healthy balance yeah. where, you know, you obviously can't go full on Chick-fil-A every single meal, like or McDonald's, like it's gonna, it's gonna hurt yeah. you. But at the same time, like, you know, you just focus on eating real food, mostly eat it, eat, eat healthy as best you can, uh, occasionally indulge yourself. Um, and then, you know, basically just optimize for health rather than for looks. And, you know, that's how I approach it. So try to eat real food, um, okay. try to balance it out. So nothing fancy. It's probably more akin to like a French yeah. approach to food where it's like, I feel fat. I'm going to eat less today. Um, and that, that mm. tends to help. One thing I do do is I have a system where every morning I wake up and I weigh myself and I know like. For me, like the number one indicator of overall physical health is what do I weigh? Um, you know, this morning I was at 230.2. Um, you know, I want to get under 228 this quarter. You know, and I know that, okay, if I have that data point, it will change how I behave for the day. And that's just the simple system I run for that is like, okay, like don't, don't eat a lot of carbs today, stupid. Yep. Wait. yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. Keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. Um, yeah, that daily check-in is probably an important one for you just to stay on track. I mean, I've found I'm someone who who works a little better with guardrails, and I go in and out of different phases. Like, okay, I'm super committed to low carb right now, or I'm tracking yeah. everything I'm eating that's going in my body via uh, an app or stuff like that. Um, but like, what happens with me what, uh, over time is like. I'll get really um, fired up about one thing. And then over time, it'll just kind of trickle off, trickle off. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I'll have a bowl of cereal. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, fine. I'll just, I can have cake or cookies right. or whatever. And then all of a sudden, I'll like look down and I'll be like, I am completely off the rails, <laughs> like completely. Yeah. And everyone's like, wait a minute, are you like really big into self-improvement and this yeah. and that? And I'm like, oh my God. Well, yes, depending on what day you catch me on. But uh, did you um, ever, have you ever seen, there was a study that came out that basically, here's what they did. They took a, they took two cohorts of people, split them up and they took a cohort of people, split them up in half. And they had one group, all they did was have them keep a journal of what they ate all day. And the other group mm -hmm. just lived their mm -hmm. normal life. Um, what yep. do you think, what do you think happened? Are, are you familiar with the study? I'm not familiar with it based on the way you're describing it. I'm assuming there was like no difference or like, um, or the people that didn't journal did better, but I, that's counterintuitive. To me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was pretty straightforward. The people that had to write down yeah. what they ate for the day, they all lost weight. Yeah. They all lost weight. Okay. So, yeah. okay. That actually makes sense. To yeah. Me. So, cause like I, uh, I was just playing around with this idea uh, yesterday. I'm thinking about tweeting something about this. It's like this idea of like what gets measured gets done. Mm -hmm. I'm using this app called Carb Manager, yeah. and it's a huge pain in the neck because you have to put in every single thing you eat during the day. But I'm like, okay, uh, it causes me to stop. Like, should I go grab a handful of like 20 right. peanut butter pretzels, or there, I'm going to have like some self, like, first of all, it's a pain just to put it in the app. But second, so there's like a little bit of friction there. But secondly, I'm like, I don't want to put that in the app. You know, like I don't want to, it's, so there's like something that is stopping me from doing that. So um, 
That's an interesting. Just try writing, but, writing. Try writing down everything you eat in a book for a month, and then yeah, tell me what happens. That's an easier way to do it. Well, it's this. Yeah, it, yeah. What it forces is, is it forces mindfulness to you about what you're eating, mm -hmm. and like, like that kind of comes back to this theme that I talked about, right? Like everybody wants to deploy these very complex, hard to use systems, and a lot of times, like there's this solution that's maybe ninety percent as good, and you just like mm -hmm. do something really simple, like weigh yourself every morning, like. Like it doesn't require, mm -hmm. it doesn't require the complex kind of third order, like things that people want mm -hmm. to do. It's a lot of times just like tell yourself every day if you're getting fat, like it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I would say try it because it's, it's, that was something I really took away from reading that study. I was like, oh, like just keep things simple. Like why, why yeah. complicate? It doesn't have to be complicated. That's what the world wants you to buy. And I just, mm -hmm. you don't even mm -hmm. have to pay any money. True. I like that. That's, this is a theme with you, just this free knowledge, getting it out there. Um, okay. Uh, you mentioned mindfulness. Talk to me a little bit about mental health. Is there anything that you do to kind of take care of yourself mentally? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that I have developed habits just based on a level of self-awareness and mindfulness about stuff. Like those are positive feedback habits. So, you know, I think when you practice mindfulness, which is being aware of, you know, not only how the things in the world make you feel, but how certain thoughts and thought patterns make you feel and controlling kind of that monkey mind that is, you know, down here in your in your lower brain that wants you to do stupid things. Um, and the the upper mind being able to say, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm feeling angry at this person. Let me think about that before I react on it. So that's mindfulness to me. And, you know, I think that level of mindfulness, and, and fortunately I've grown up in a place where like I don't suffer any mental health issues that I know about. I mean, maybe they're in there, but we'd have to go dig around, <laughs> see what see what's floating around that I don't know about. They're they're I not. Can, I can ask some of our listeners to to uh, diagnose you. After well, this I mean, so you you do have questions later on this about my Twitter stuff, and one of the things that people joke about <laughs> yeah, on Twitter is yeah, yeah. they've never heard me say a mean thing like to anyone on Twitter, and that's that's by design. Um, and also, I'm just not a mean mm, person. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I would say that's kind of the key thing. Like, I'm very fortunate. I know other people suffer from depression and, and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. This is just something that I don't have to worry about much. It's also, and I feel kind of bad about it. Everybody wants to talk about mental health. Like, it's in the category of things that I'm just like, well, that's not very interesting to me. And I'm glad other people mm -hmm. are pursuing it. But also, I don't spend much time thinking about it at all. Like, I just yeah. focus on yeah. I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to think the best way I can think. I'm going to change my thoughts as I think they make sense. I'm going to take outside stimulus from the world and I'm going to decide how I'm going to react to it. Like I just do those basic things. And then for me, I'm fortunate that I just don't go bad places. So now the way that you describe that is that sort of almost like arm's length of being able to, you know, recognize like an emotion in yourself, like anger. So that's, obvi that's obviously like a massive focus of mindfulness and meditation teaching. Yeah. And, um, you know, a big part of uh, a big part of, you know, developing a meditation practice is, is trying to get to see that. Right. So it's like, instead of this idea that I am my thoughts, it is like, okay, I can actually see there. That is a, that's, that's anger right there. And let me just recognize that. And even just having that arm's length, uh, away from that emotion and not being that emotion, uh, is just massive in terms of how you decide to react. Um, are you just, is that just natural within you or have you like, to, you know, practice meditation or anything like that to try to like develop that. I, I know people love to meditate. I've tried it like three times and I think yeah. it's in the bucket of things like yeah. uh, learning to play an instrument. I can't do it. Never will be able mm -hmm. to do it. I've given, I've yeah. three times in my life I've tried. I've never, I'm like, I'm terrible at this. 
yeah, yeah. So yeah, meditation like it may just kind of come naturally to you though that this the your the way you're kind of viewing yourself and the way the way you're kind of naturally yeah seeing you know it play out. I mean, I did, I, you know, these aren't natural, innate kind of thought patterns. You know, lots of reading of books, you know, Zen Buddhism, you know, for, there was a while we're reading Dalai Lama books was really popular. You know, all those kind of mindfulness ideas, like I've read all that stuff like that. I read that stuff yep. in my 20s yep. Yep. And, and 30s. And, you know, I think only in my late 30s and early 40s have I become a pretty good practitioner of it. Um, I don't think I actually got any smarter. I think just hormones have changed. It's just like, I don't really want to punch anybody in the face, mostly because I have like 47 year old man testosterone. Like, I, I, what's, what, why would I get in a fight with you? Like, it just sounds terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, there may be definitely a natural el maturing element going on here. Um, Okay, time management. So we talked about energy management. That's what I would put it, the yeah. broad category of stuff that we just talked about, sleep and nutrition and fitness and mental health. Let's talk about time management. So you're pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, is there anything system-wise that you're implementing here to try to really prioritize where you are actually spending your time? Yeah. Well, so I think there's really kind of three there's three parallel tracks of like work streams going on in, in my day, right? There's there is with everything pro process and project I'm involved in, there's like this ongoing cadence of nurturing, supervising stuff like that. So there's like a cadence of meetings that I'll go to and interactions that I have there, everything from one-on-ones with CEOs to board meetings, right? Those are all kind of things there. You know, stream number two is like the new initiative stream. Like there's things that are like, hey, here's my goal for the quarter. Like I need to do this, that, and there's meetings and objectives that come there. And so those tend to get filled after the calendar is filled with those those fancy reoccurring meetings. Um, and then the third bucket is just kind of the slack bucket where it's like, okay, well, don't fill up one and two because we need time to reflect or to recuperate or, or to work on, you know, a Twitter thread I'm inspired about. Like those are all things that is kind of that third bucket. And that ends up being that bucket that there's flex when one or two, the one or two buckets like expand. Um, and so that's kind of how I look at it. If you look at what my day is, that's pretty much my day. Like my calendar, I use a calendaring system. I have one calendar per venture. Um, and those things get put on there. I'm managing that calendar and then initiatives get filtered, filtered in. And then there's a bunch of blank space where hopefully I can do email or relax. Like after this, I'm going to go lay down on the couch cause I'm sleepy. Uh, like, like, I'm completely taking it out of you right now. This is not, uh, this is not adding energy to my, yeah, those, I, it's, I'm having a ton of fun. Um, so the, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, so that's kind of how the day looks and how the calendar gets yeah, set. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there are still times where like anybody else, like the universe throws stuff at you in waves and like, I'll get pushed mm -hmm. too far. Um, and the inversion, so the inversion of all of that and making sure you have time for what's important is you have to, for me, I have to go through and be vigorous and like, like unrelenting about saying no to the stuff that doesn't matter. And that I've yeah. done yeah. more and more over the past few years as I've gotten more confident in things that I don't like mm -hmm. or things that don't mm -hmm. give me joy. So like I'm not on any yeah. nonprofit boards. Like I don't give money to causes that aren't the one thing that's important to me. And like that mm -hmm. level of focus allows me to like have a lot more free time for the stuff that is really important to me. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the inversion of time management for me. It's just like, like if it's not a hell yes, like the Derek Sivers thing, I just say, hell yeah. no. Like I'm just really yeah. comfortable saying no these days. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to great way to be. Um, okay, we're talking. We've mentioned Twitter Threads a couple of times. Um, you've built a really awesome presence on Twitter, and actually, as I've prepared for this conversation and was going through a lot of the content that you've put out, um, I found your Twitter threads to be incredibly helpful. And I love the way that you, so you have a pinned tweet on your um, Twitter profile right now that's got, it's basically like a thread of your best threads. And I'm like, first of all, like, okay, I've seen this before, but like, why, why am I not doing this? This, it was just, I mean, for something like this, there could not been, could not have been a more helpful resource to, to just see all your stuff in one place. Um, also just random thought for you going through all your content. I don't know if you've heard this from other people, but it, um, it actually inspired me to want to write more threads. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I found just a tremendous amount of value there and like I'm someone who puts out a lot of content in the form of podcasts and newsletters and stuff like that, but I have not cultivated that regular Twitter thread right. habit. Um, but reading through your threads, I just found them so incredibly valuable. I was like, I, I really felt inspired. I was like, God, I, I need to, I need to get on this. Um, You're like that. that uh, so, anyways, tell me, about, tell, me about your, uh, <laughs> tell me about your, tell me about your, your, why you, why you're doing that, why you're investing some of your valuable time there, and then like what your system is for creating consistently great content. Yeah, no, super. Thank you. Um, the um, so ultimately, like Twitter and social media. Like, like, first of all, I started doing it because I was really bored during COVID. There was nothing to do except sit at my house. Um, so I'm a COVID mm -hmm. baby for, for social media. But like the more <laughs> I've gone into it, the more I've realized a couple of things. One of those is very, very few people my age, like our, our age are as a relative percentage of the population are actually out there being their real selves on Twitter or social media. Like mm -hmm. it's so hard for our generation. But that creates such a big window of opportunity for people that are willing to do it because like it is just this massive for me accelerator to all the things i'm doing right so um that's how i think about it if, if you think about there's this flywheel that i do of you know incubate new ventures incubate new things help them get developed and off the ground and then supervise them and support them ongoing like there's that flywheel and the uh the nature of giving on twitter or giving on social media or doing podcasts like it accelerates all of the it accelerates that whole thing i'm not going to make money doing this like because i'm not selling courses i'm not like yep. you know we are selling ads on our podcast but that's just because i want to hire staffers and editors to do the podcast and i don't want to mm -hmm. i don't want to be mm -hmm. doing it myself um and actually we got that this year we hired a, a general manager he's a great guy mirko he's he's running running the podcast and like selling ads and oh, stuff cool. it's like great i just show up and talk oh wow it's amazing highly recommend okay. it okay okay i may need to bend your ear on that one I'm, I'm not quite at that level yet like nine episodes in but uh but uh that sounds uh amazing. well we we hired him he's in argentina you know we started a business me and a co-founder started a business a year and a half ago um called near hire with near.com and that's how i hired him he's in argentina mm. he i've never met him in person oh, wow he's we do everything in english and he's running the whole podcast business so like yeah it's that's it's awesome. it's the most girly thing ever the second i got into it i was like how do i get out of this without <laughs> without it stopping um sorry well side quick side note on that i think i think there is a an amazing opportunity for somebody to come in and take like all of the non-talking related work off of creators plates yeah. like think about how many people have podcasts out there now and just think about how everybody is like 
piecing together a system themselves in terms of like, oh, look, I got to edit this thing. I got to get clips out. Maybe there's a YouTube version, whatever. Everybody's piecing it together. I feel like there's an opportunity for like the AWS of like the creator right. economy to come in and like scale, have like ton of editors and writers, whatever you need at scale and make it super cheap for people and, and offer that service. Like I'm just putting that out there in the world. I think there's a need for that. Yeah. You had me until the super cheap part. That sounds terrible. I don't want to be any business is super cheap. Uh, okay. Let's not say super cheap, but let's not say uh, it's it can be expensive for right. individual creators today. So I'm sure there's plenty of margin there for somebody who can run that yeah, yeah. business. Totally dig it. Uh, yeah, yeah. All that stuff's just a pain in the butt. And you got to figure out like, like I spent spent time yesterday, like, okay, here's what makes a good thumbnail for YouTube and here's what doesn't. Like, let me show you how it works and... You know, and the funny thing is so many of these creators, like they ultimately have no idea what really works. Like, especially in podcasts, people are just like, I don't know, the big po Joe Rogan does it. So we're doing it too. Like nobody really knows because mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. analytics are just so terrible. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, so Twitter, my goal is just like that can, I've seen that acceleration that and the lubrication that comes for everything I'm doing from Twitter. Um, so like it makes everything better for me. Um, so my goal is just to increase that magnitude. Um, and this year, you know, I'm close to 95,000 followers or so, which I know is a total vanity metric. It doesn't really matter. Um, I did set a goal this year of trying to get to 150,000. Um, you know, the way you do that, frankly, is through yeah. threads. I know people hate on threads, but yeah. threads are what gets you the followers. Um, that's just the way it works. Mm -hmm. Threads in a good profile page. So, um, so yeah, so I do it just because every dollar I seem to put into it pays me back. 10, 100 times that in just opportunity um, from the universe um, without me ever really asking for it. So mm -hmm. I love that kind of scenario. That's that's so cool. Um, the age point on that one is is an interesting point. I haven't heard many people talk about that, but I think that's totally true. Yeah. Um, and I think with our age group, there is this still really like a stigma of like, oh, you're talking to your internet friends or something like that, right? Um, but honestly, like I think every guest I've had so far on this podcast has been somebody I've connected with on Twitter. Yeah. And it's just uh, been just this amazing platform to make great connections um, with uh, incredibly smart people who you otherwise would have no exposure to, yep. no reason to really interact with. And so, um, yeah, our generation is way behind the curve on that. But to your point, maybe that maybe that's actually an opportunity for those that um, you know, want to dive in and, and be active. I, I'm totally fine. I, I am totally fine with that. Like that creates a bigger window of opportunity because, you know, people like there's younger people that want to hear from people our age, like, and they want to understand yeah. what we've learned. And if the other chumps aren't going to be out there our age talking about it, might as well be this chump. Like I'm cool with it. <laughs> so, Hey, they need to hear, they need to hear about getting a stretching habit in place early on. Come on. Like they need to know. It's so huge. I mean, I, you know, I, I've learned that from CrossFit, like the people that are physically mobile, like have good range of motion yeah. in their joints. They don't have like odd imbalances. Those are the people that stick it out. And, you know, I watched people that were my age who kind of blew up and like disappeared when they turned 40. Yeah. Um, it's because they weren't like balancing out like that endorphin rush they were getting from working out so hard with like, oh, I'm going to do some maintenance yeah. and rest on my body. So actually me, me and a group, we started a thing we call Stretch Club. 
first rule of stretch clubs, you don't talk about stretch club. By the way, that is the most dating <laughs> dating movie reference ever. But Gen Z millennials don't yeah. get it. Hey, I got it. But I got uh, it. yeah, we show up and we we sign up for a service that gives us a different stretch routine every day. Uh, we show up 20, mm -hmm. 25 minutes before class starts for CrossFit. We stretch together, yeah. make ourselves better. I changed the branding to Injury Prevention Club. So um, okay. that works better than Stretch Club. And we still get very few members. But um, yeah, it's just part of it. You got to build mm -hmm. that in the routine. And uh, that's yeah. the way to be durable. Like you just can't, you can't expect your body to to drive just like you can't expect a car to run without changing the oil every once in a while stretching mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. stretching and good oh, feel is man. doing that i feel like i need to go stretch now um do, do you uh have any resources that you recommend for people who are like okay yeah i need to do that is there anything yeah like um i mean if you want something simple the one we do is called um romwod r-o-m-w-o-d it's 18 bucks a month or something they give you a new video every day um and it's a lot of very long static holds for stuff um around hips and ankles and shoulders and stuff like that. So, you know, that's been very good. Um, you know, I really like, uh, there's a guy named Kelly Starrett, who's a physical therapist. You can, he has some books called, um, uh, like the being a supple leopard, I think his name is S T A R R E T T is his name. I've been to some of his seminars. So he just talks about ways to create more mobility in your systems, especially when you have, you know, lack of range of motion, impingement, all that kind of stuff. He can help you deal with that things, those kind of things. Um, so those are the two kind of things I would recommend to people. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, that is something I am not doing enough of, so I need to get on that. Um, okay. We have come to the end of our conversation and I appreciate all the knowledge that you have dropped here. Um, I do have one closing question and it's kind of broad. Um, and, uh, but I'm just going to hit you with it here. Um, what's one thing in life that you have figured out thus far that you think, Maybe most others might not yet fully grasp. Uh, I already talked about stretching, so I'm going to bar you from using that one. I don't know. I feel like uh, it, it's hard. I'm curious. What do you think my answer for this is? This is the, to this is the total, like, girdly, uh, <laughs> total girdly, like, punt on this. But I will give you an answer. Hmm. Okay. I might come back maybe to something EOS related um, and kind of, like, starting with these high-level goals and then going and going down. I like that systematic approach to how you're managing your life. Um, and then I, the other one I might say is maybe doing the introspective work to understand who you really are and yeah. what you can really exceed at so that you can kind of set yourself up for do, do the work that you actually, you know, really enjoy and will be good at. Yeah, I dig that. You know, I think that another way of using that, talking about that second point is like, you know, acknowledging that you're a flawed human being on a journey with weaknesses and strengths and then crafting your life around leveraging those strengths as best you can and compensating for the weaknesses as best you can. Like, like so many, I see so many people just so motivated to try to be great at something that they either hate or they're not good at or a combination of those things. And it just makes me sad, you know, and, and I realize this mm -hmm. is a somewhat privileged way of looking at the world, but like, it doesn't happen overnight. You work hard and you know, I think you can get there when you are able to go into life and do what you're meant to do. Like, it's kind of beautiful. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I don't want to be like an elitist jerk who came from a privileged home and, you know, graduated college debt free. Like, it's pretty easy for me to be like all that kind of stuff. And, but, you know, I think, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that kind of self-realization that we're broken and that you, you know, you just should enjoy the journey and be the best you, you can be like, yeah, like stop worrying so much. Just do that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. 
And I want to be too self-conscious about coming from a privileged background and stuff like that, because I think you do a tremendous amount every day to kind of give back for free to people out there, like what you're learning along the journey. So you're, you're very generous um, in that way. Um, well, Michael, uh, last, last thing, um, uh, where can people find you? Anything you want to promote anything like that? I'm selling a course. No, I'm not actually I'm too lazy to make a course. <laughs> um, on self-reflection. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, actually, I mean, the economics are like, I'm not going to dig on people like with a clear, like click to close funnel, because like, I understand, like do what's right for you. Like, I have no problem with that for me. It yeah. like, yeah. I'm yeah. in the bucket of like the return on investment of teaching a course or doing a paid course. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like I, it's just mm -hmm. uh, the amount of time I would spend to put that together and make it as good as I want it to be. Like I, there's easier ways for me to make a, make a buck. So like, that's mm -hmm. ultimately why I don't do it. And, but I'm not gonna, not knocking on anybody else doing it. Like by, by all means, like you do you, like whatever, mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop anybody from what they do. So, um, but um, yeah, so uh, two ways you can uh, join along with me, um, Twitter at Girdley, G-I-R-D-L-E-Y. That's my last name. So I paid some guy a hundred bucks in North Carolina to give me the Girdley handle oh. a few years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. Nice. But he was really nice. His name was Girdley too. He's like, I don't get this Twitter thing. That's what he told me. I was like, oh, cool. I do. <laughs> so um, so yeah, so that's at awesome. Girdley. And then uh, my website is girdley.com. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff I talked about on here is talked about in blog posts or on posts on there. Uh, it's all free, nothing really to sell you. Um, and then I do have a newsletter that I am collecting email names for, and I have not sent out anything to it since February. So I'm doing great. <laughs> so, so check all that if you out. Wanna, if you want to be on a newsletter where you're not going to get bugged too much, this sounds like the one. It has 0% spam. It also has 0% content at the moment. So uh, it's going pretty great. Very nice. Very nice. All right, Michael, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Really appreciate your time. And uh, I would encourage everybody to go check out Michael's stuff uh, and the places he just mentioned, because uh, you will come out much, much richer in many different ways um, from, from uh, engaging with that content. So appreciate your time today. Right on. Thanks, Greg. Hey, everyone. It's Greg again. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Michael is such a cool guy and I really admire how he's built his career and how he is so good about sharing what he's learned along the way. If you run a business or just want to get better at managing your own life like I do, uh, I highly recommend following Michael on Twitter. His handle again is at Girdley, at G-I-R-D-L-E-Y and checking out his website, girdley.com. Finally, I want to hear from you. I want to get to know you. I want to trade emails with you. I want to be your friend, okay? So subscribe to my bi-weekly newsletter, also called Intentional Wisdom, at gregcampion.substack.com. And you can get recaps on all the episodes, just like this one, along with other ideas that I'm exploring and the best content that I'm reading, watching, and listening to. So head on over to gregcampion.substack.com and subscribe. Finally, finally, if you are enjoying this podcast, please tell your friends about it or tweet about it or leave me a review. It all really helps to spread the word. Thank you very much. I appreciate you listening and I will see you next time.